Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. In this particular passage, we may hear a contradiction in what Paul is saying. However, that contradiction is cleared up when we look at the quality of mercy he is offering. You're listening to The Quality of Mercy by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading tonight is from Paul's first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 3 through verse 17. And um, as I read, this sermon starts uh, from uh, devotions. And in my devotions, as I read this passage, I was struck, and I'm not the first one, by what looked like it could be a contradiction or a double standard. A contradiction or a double standard within the text itself. So as I read, see if you can hear... um, what might be, what might be considered a double standard. And that's what I want to reflect on tonight. As I urged you, says Paul to Timothy, when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, for all those who kill their father and mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine that confirms the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed one which he entrusted to me. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he has considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the face and love that are in Jesus Christ. Here's a trustworthy saying one that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. For that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So, what is this potential double standard, this contradiction that I'm talking about that um, moved me to write this sermon? Well, I don't know if you saw it or not, but for me, it's the tension between the way Jesus treated Paul when he was misguided and lost and the way Paul seems to want to treat the misguided teachers of Ephesus who are teaching false doctrine. So on the one hand, in the passage I just read, you have verses 12 through 17, which are 
verses that are probably the most familiar to you out of everything I've read. These are verses that everybody loves. These are verses that sometimes we will read as our assurance of forgiveness in the morning service after the prayer of confession, right? Here is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the very worst. It's this radical expression of God's mercy. There was a day when Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He was a violent man. He was an enemy of the gospel. He was completely misguided. He was the worst of sinners. And yet God, by his mercy, found him and picked him up and brought him home. So that's all good. We love that. And if that's all we had in this passage, we would say, yay, that's wonderful, easy. But now compare that to what Paul says in the verses at the beginning of our passage. There are false teachers loose in Ephesus. They are teaching endless myths and genealogies. They're leading people astray. They are enemies of sound doctrine. And how does Paul react to these enemies? Paul seems pretty angry with them. Command certain people to not teach these doctrines any longer. And if I were to keep reading, if I'd read all the way to to verse 20, he would tell Timothy that he's turned over some of these false teaching types to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. That's what it says in verse 20. So Paul sees their error and their waywardness, and he comes down on them like a ton of bricks. Do you see the contrast? Paul was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, and he received mercy and grace. These people are in error, and they're wrong, and maybe they're blasphemers too, and Paul wants to hammer them. Is this like the parable of the unforgiving servant? Paul receives mercy and then turns around and pops his neighbor who owes him something? I'm not the only one to recognize this problem. Commentators recognize this problem. They talk about it. And they found, uh, some of them have found a way to explain it. They say there's no double standard, and there's no double standard because of verse 13. If you look at verse 13, because Paul gives kind of a reason in verse 13 of why he was shown mercy. He says, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief, he says, in ignorance. And so the commentators say, okay, it's now a double standard because Paul's different than the Ephesian teachers because Paul didn't, he was acting in ignorance. He didn't know what he's doing. Those Ephesian teachers know exactly what they're doing. So Paul's okay. And, and, and when they say that, what they're doing is they're leaning on Numbers 15, 27 and the Old Testament law. In the Old Testament law, there was a law that if you sinned in ignorance, you could go to the priest and get forgiveness. But if you sinned knowing that you were sinning, knowing what you were doing, then there was no hope for you. And I'll quote Numbers 15, anyone who sins defiantly, who knows what they're doing, whether native-born or alien, blasphemes the Lord, and that person must be cut off from his people. So these commentators say, Paul sins in ignorance, these people sin in knowledge. So that's why Paul can be different with them. Well, that's an interesting argument. I've got to be honest with you, I don't buy it. And I don't buy it for a couple reasons. First of all, when Paul talks about the mercy that he receives, does it seem like he's trying to soft pedal his sin to you? Does it seem like he's trying to say, oh yeah, my my sin is sort of minor league sin? No. He's doing exactly the opposite of that. He's saying, I am the worst of sinners, and yet 
Christ gave mercy to me. How likely is it that in verse 13, Paul would plead ignorance as a way to get out of his sin, and then only two verses later say that he's the worst of sinners? It doesn't make sense. So I think that pushes against that explanation. The second thing is, Paul just doesn't call himself ignorant with respect to these sins. He doesn't just say that I'm the one who's sinned in ignorance. He also says that the Ephesian teachers are ignorant. They do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Verse 7. That's ignorance. So both Paul and the Ephesian teachers are ignorant. So they're both standing sort of in an equal place before their Lord. They're both equally sinful. So that can't explain the difference or this, what seems like a difference in treatment. So we're still left with this potential double standard. I think the real reason that this looks like a potential double standard is that we don't always fully understand what mercy looks like. I think this feels like a double standard to us because our definition and our understanding of mercy is reductionistic and small. We tend to have a very passive notion of mercy. We reduce mercy to acceptance. Mercy is simply the welcome of the sinner. Mercy is like when a horrible sinner like Paul is received on the Damascus Road. Mercy is when the father welcomes home the prodigal son and throws him a banquet. Mercy is when Jesus eats with sinners and prostitutes. It's that acceptance. And that is, that's part of mercy. But the fullness of mercy is bigger than that. It's more robust. It's more forceful. It's more than just acceptance in Scripture. It has an aggressive dimension. And to capture this more active and aggressive side, I was tempted to call tonight's sermon, Mercied by God. I didn't do that because mercy is not a verb in the English language, and I didn't feel that was right, so I used that other name instead. You can't do that in English, use mercy as a verb, but you can in Greek. And in fact, when the Bible, when your Bible says, I was shown mercy, in the Greek, mercy is a verb. What it literally says is, I was mercied by God so that in me, Christ might show his unlimited patience. Paul says, not that he was shown mercy, but he was mercied by God. Now, officially, we can't use mercy as a verb in the English language, but there is one um, place where mercy is used as a verb in the English language, and that is church league softball. It's been a while since I played church league softball, but um, when, we, when, when I did play, uh, there was something called a mercy rule. So after, if, you were, if you were really beaten up on the other team, after six innings, if you were up by more than 10 runs, the mercy rule was enforced so the other team wouldn't be unduly humiliated. And the way we talked about that in our softball leagues is we would say, we mercied them. We mercied, mercy is a verb. So I'd go home and your wife would say, how'd the game go? Oh, it was great, we mercied them. Or in the teams that I played for, it was awful, we got mercy. Now that's fun, but you see what we did there? We, we turned mercy into a verb. What does the verb mean? It means, mercy means to mercy something means to overwhelm it, to subdue it, to pummel it. Well, I'm not entirely comfortable comparing God's mercy to a softball game 
uh, in this case, I'll make an exception. Because in that sense of the word, we see that God's mercy to Paul was more than just a warm acceptance. God's mercy overwhelmed Paul. It pummeled him. It turned his life upside down. God accepted him for sure, but it was more than mere acceptance. God literally blinded him, knocked him on his back, made him question everything he thought he knew, and rebuilt him. Jesus mercied Paul. And Paul's not the only one. Think about Zacchaeus, poor Zacchaeus, up a tree just watching Jesus pass by. Jesus comes and looks at him and says, I'm going to eat at your house. Salvation comes to that house. It also costs Zacchaeus half of everything he owns. That is an enormous price. Half of his stuff he gives away. Jesus mercies Zacchaeus. And poor Peter, he just wanted to live a nice middle-class life and be a fisherman, take care of his kids, enjoy life by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus comes along and says, follow me, and Peter has no choice. He gets swept up in this adventure, and it is a difficult adventure. It is an adventure that makes him question everything he owes. It's an adventure that puts him on his knees, and eventually it's an adventure that leads to his own crucifixion. Jesus mercied Peter. And he did the same thing with Abraham and Noah and Moses. And he's doing it to you and me. Mercy is more than acceptance. It is not a warm bath of soothing. It is a cold, bracing stream that will change you from head to toe. And when you realize, when you, start, when, you, when you define mercy that way, in that larger way, you begin to realize that what Paul is asking for in those first verses, what Paul is expressing, it sounds harsh, but maybe it is part of mercy. Paul's not looking to damn these people. He's looking to save them. He wants that mercy to surround them and to carry them. He's not saying cut them off. He's saying keep praying for them contacting them, make sure the mercy still flows. So what looks like a doubled standard is really showing the full-bodied nature of this wonderful gift of God. It's radical on both ends. It's radical in that it will accept absolutely anyone on the front end. Anyone can walk into the arms of Jesus, and it's radical on the back end too. It will utterly change you. As I read this passage, and thought about this full-body mercy, I thought about a story that Tony Campolo tells, and I, can, I can't honestly remember if I've told this story before, and if I have, you'll hear it again. Um, it's a story about when Tony Campolo was teaching at the University of Pennsylvania, and he was teaching undergrads, and he had a couple kids who he was advising as a professor. And one of those kids at the University of Pennsylvania was a Marxist, atheist, brilliant kid. Uh, Tony Campolo said he was absolutely brilliant and he could argue anyone into a corner. It doesn't matter who that person was. He would argue into you in a corner and pin you down. He's one of those people with a nimble mind. Another one of his advisees was this really nice, really hardworking, deeply Christian-loving kid who was just ordinary intellect. And these two kids knew each other and they kind of got along. But when Campolo heard that the two kids were going to both go to graduate school at Cornell University and that they were going to live together, Campolo was worried because he thought, oh no, what's going to happen? That atheist Marxist, that brilliant kid is going to question 
that naive kid's faith and he's going to pin him to the wall and that kid's faith is going to be shaken. Well, imagine his surprise when a year later he goes to visit them at Cornell and he finds that the Marxist atheist has become a Christian. And Kapoor says, what happened? And he said, well, you know, we, were, we would argue about faith all the time and he would all... I would always win. You know, I'd pin him to the wall and he wouldn't have anything to say. And the way he entered the argument is saying, well, I know that you've got good arguments, but I don't care because I know that I have known the love of Jesus in my heart and I've seen it in my community and I'm going to follow him no matter what. He is my God. And then he just keep living his loving, generous, kind, fruit of the spirit life. And eventually, that loving, kind, fruit of the spirit life caused the atheist to give in to a God who is bigger than his arguments. You might say he was mercied by God. This is a challenging passage. It's a challenge for us to show full-bodied mercy, to not just embrace, but also to confront when necessary. But it's also a passage full of hope. Jesus Christ came to the world to save all sinners. And if someone with sins like Paul can be saved, this mercy can save anybody. This mercy can change you, can change this community, can change this world. This mercy will change everything. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.